welcome to another episode of Retrospection, and today we're joining one of BBC's much-loved, low-budgeted science fiction show. No, not that one. We're joining the team of Blake Seven. My name's Colin, and I didn't come here to be flattered. You're in the right place then, aren't you? <laughs> yep. And my name's Paul, and unlike some people around here, I don't boast about my abilities. I keep them hidden. So well hidden, Paul. Even I can't find them. That's the problem. I mean, a master of subterfuge. In fact, your talents are so well hidden, one of your talents could be hiding those very talents. You know what, I hadn't thought about it that way, but that could be true, yes. The show called IMDB is that a group of convicts and outcasts fight a guerrilla war against the totalitarian Terran Federation from a highly advanced alien spaceship. We're not doing the pilot episode, as we've chosen episode 11 from the fourth series called Orbit, which IMDb goes on to describe as the Scorpio crew are summoned by renegade Federation scientist Igrarian, who wants to unleash vengeance on the Federation. Igrarian wants to trade a powerful weapon in exchange for Arak. But Avon and Villa discover Igrarian is working for Servalan in another bid to take Arak, on a word that Avon has given Igrarian a fake duplicate of Arak. Oh, well done, IMDb. Yeah? Just, just do the whole plot, <laughs> why don't you? That is pretty much it, isn't it? In a nutshell, there. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to Retrospection. Yeah. It, I was going to say it's a hit, but we did, well, we were such a... Two things I wanted to say about why, why we chose this episode rather than the pilot is that the pilot doesn't really have the gang together, does it? So we thought that maybe we would pick an episode where, where the gang are already together. Although this isn't actually the gang... As you know it from, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just like the yes, second, which I realised. But anyway, and, and and on a personal level, I I have re- been rewatching this show. It's streaming on BritBox, and I'm only up to season three. So when you chose this episode and I had to jump ahead to watch it, I'm I'm thinking the Scorpio. What's this? Where's the Liberator gun? What's happening here? Oh, I guess we lose that one then, don't we? That's that's not a thing anymore. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'll look forward to that when it happens. I, I think I remember saying to you, oh, this is a fairly standalone episode. And it is. But on the other hand, I forgot all the things that happened because of the end of the third series. Yep. So thanks for that. You're welcome. Anytime. Do you know why uh, that happened at the end of the third I series? I don't. Oh, okay. I don't. Do you want me to tell you? No. No, it's, it's, a, it's a production reason, though, not the actual... Oh, right, okay. So the show was finished at the end of the third series. So they blew everything up, right? Right. And the actors went off to do other things. Production crew went off to do other things. Sets were destroyed. Everything was done. So uh, there you are. You've just finished uh, Blake 7. You're going on to do other things. You, you go, oh... The last episode's going to be shown on TV. You sit down to watch it. It finishes. And as the credits roll, the announcer goes, um, Blake Seven will return next year. At which point you go, what? <laughs> so the actors didn't know. Nobody knew. Apparently the controller of BBC was watching the final episode and thought, that was actually pretty good. Phoned BBC announcing department and said, can the announcer say that it'll be back next year? To which it did. <laughs> Nobody knew. <laughs> so, so the likes of Paul Darrow just found out when they were watching the show. Yeah, 
Exactly. I think I'll do that. When we when we decide to do our final episode of retrospection, I'm just going to blur it out at the end. And we'll be back next week with... <laughs> and see the look and on your face. And all you go, <laughs> Well, nobody's enjoying it, so I thought it's not going to happen, no. so... <laughs> no. Isn't that weird? Uh, that is very strange. That would never happen today, would it? No. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. It, it says a lot for the, the careers of some of these actors, though, doesn't it? That, that um, they could just go, oh, all right, then. We'll do another series, well, some then. Of them could. Some, some of them didn't. That's why it changed. Oh, I see. Right. I, that's why. Well, I've, yeah. I've got notes about certain people here, so we'll talk about that in a minute. So in this episode, we have Paul Darrow as Kerr Avon, Jacqueline Pierce as Servalan, Michael Keating as Villa Restall, Stephen Pacey as Del Tarrant, Josette Simon as Dana Malenby, and Glynis Berber as Sue Lin, Peter Tudenham as Arak, the voice, obviously, mm-hmm. and John, I think, Savident as Agrarian, and Larry Noble as Pinder. It, it's a good cast. Yeah, it is it a is. good cast. Yeah. Um, I do have my issues with, with uh, the guy that plays Tarrant. You don't like Del Boy? Uh, he's just, he's very earnest, isn't he, in the way that he delivers his lines. Yeah. Everything's yeah. sort of talks like this all the time. She's the hero. Is he? Or not, depending on your point of view. Well, I, I did wonder about that as well, because... So at the end of, of, of the second season, Blake leaves. Okay? As a character, you'd think that Avon would think, okay, I've got the ship to myself now. This is my ship now. I wanted this ship for the whole of those first two seasons. I wanted rid of Blake. I finally got rid of Blake. This is my ship now. And then he just invites right. these these other characters on, and then the next thing you know, Tarrant's ordering Avon around like he's now the captain. Who was Tarrant originally? He, he tra- didn't he train in the the space fleet or something or other. He's he is a he right. is a space captain, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what he I'm, does have the rank? But what of I'm captain. saying is that as a character, I can't believe that Avon would just let that happen. If you're a like Avon, where you like to manipulate things, isn't it good to have someone who's pretending? To be in charge, who's not really, you know, you let him have everything happen to them. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like presidents always have like a shadowy figure in the background that's actually the one in charge, you know, and prime ministers. Yeah, you know, I can they, see they, 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 You know, people who are really pushing the buttons who have to go for eye t- tests in castles and things like yeah. that. No, no, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see your point on that. Yeah. This episode is written by Robert Holmes. Yes, Dr. Whovans know him very well, don't they? Yes. Uh, unfortunately, he was just coming off the same job on Who um, because um, he was the producer's first choice for script editor on this as well. Oh. Yeah, but he didn't want to do it because, he, as I said, he'd just come off Dr. Who doing the same job. Um, but he wrote this episode and he did write quite a number of other ones as well. Yeah, he did. Now, I should also point out the Scorpio is very different from the Liberator. It's it's darker, it's smaller. And that was done on purpose because they wanted this series to be more constrained and, and grittier than the previous seasons. Yeah, I don't think it it doesn't look as good as the Liberator, though, does it? Well, and not inside and outside. The Liberator's a pretty iconic ship. Yeah, this is just a, a kind of a, a brick in space isn't it and it, it's supposed to be it's a freighter right okay i did read that gareth thomas left the show at the end of season two because he became disillusioned with the stories that he felt that they were they yes. were moving too far away from sci-fi and into science fantasy i reckon not sure if i agree with that 
have to think about mm. that. I was trying to remember what, what uh, as I say, I've, I've been re-watching them, so I was trying to remember. I think we had one, I did see one where there, were, there was something to do with mystical plants, from what I remember. <laughs> I don't know whether, whether that was a thing. I'm sure that was a thing. Well, are you sure you just haven't been doing <laughs> mushrooms that day? <laughs> possibly, possibly. Oh, all right. I also did read that um, the the deciding factor for him leaving came after he asked the producers if he could direct a couple of episodes, and they declined his offer. Oh, oh. <laughs> so he decided to quit. That's probably more likely why. He I was left. just I was just going to say I think I think that's probably more more the truth truthful. Uh... It's like can I can I direct some? No. Well, 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 your episodes they're just fantasy then. <laughs> I. So's your chances of directing, mate. <laughs> that was probably how it went, actually. I, I don't know what... I mean, we should say Gareth Thomas is no longer with us. He passed away a few years ago. Is it, oh, I, I thought you meant <laughs> in the room. I was going to say, no, he's not, he's not here. <laughs> I'd notice. You would. He was quite a powerful character. Um, he'd never actually seen a single episode of, of Blake 7 until he was asked to do a DVD commentary many years later. So I get the impression he wasn't overly impressed with the whole thing. I wonder if he's one of those actors who just doesn't like watching their own work. Could be that. Could be that. I never get. I never get yeah. that impression. I'm, I'm, I'm like that. I never listen to the podcast. <laughs> just fake it, dude. Yeah. Just, just pretend. Oh yeah, it was a good one. <laughs> the bit where you pretended to be a dinosaur was a bit older. That wasn't in it. Oh. Do you even remember what we talked about after we finished? I don't even remember what you just asked me. Uh, <laughs> you never get the impression from Paul Darrow that he doesn't like looking at himself, though, do you? Wait, who are you? <laughs> no, no, you don't get that. He, he, like he, he chews scenery like you drink beer. <laughs> what very well you mean? <laughs> Continuously. <laughs> um, I, I did read a funny note about Paul Darrow that he was notorious for breaking props. Oh, I say breaking. He may well have been. It was the seventies and the early eighties. Um, no, he, apparently. Wait, people only broke wind in the seventies and eighties. That doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> I, I got news for you, pal. <laughs> so uh, what I meant to imply was, I'm sure there were a lot more liquid lunches going on back in uh, in BBC Studio Land in the nineteen seventies and the eighties. Oh God, yeah. It would have been yeah. our time, Colin, wouldn't it? Yeah, things we could have achieved. I think I was still doing it in the nineties. Not saying anything. Uh, <laughs> I'm not digging my uh, my own grave there, Colin. So. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, so you're going to dig your no. own hole? No. Oh, you're not that flexible, Paul. <laughs> I'm really not. Um, yeah, he apparently broke every single gun that was ever handed to him in the show. Now, here's a question. Half the props they use don't actually look like guns so how would he know what's a gun and what's not he just breaks everything <laughs> i guess so um ev- uh. eventually they actually made him one with an aluminium core so he couldn't actually break it was he super strong i guess so i mean he has got quite big hands big hands was the german director who did a few episodes right they were good ones as well yeah 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 a lot of deck chairs involved yeah black and white was, was that deck chairs line like racist i don't know to what? To deck chairs? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to you. Another actor who left the series after series two was, and I'm not sure how you pronounce her name, Sally Knivet? Are you having a stroke, mate? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that was earlier. 
Yeah, so apparently she was unhappy that her character started out as an exciting intergalactic space pirate, but then turned into a housewife on the Liberator. I mean, that's the problem when you've got so many characters, right? Yeah, and I can see her point. Having just watched series one and two, I can see her point. She she did start out quite 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 an edgy character in the, particularly in the first series. In the second series, she's like she's like the den mother. She played Jenna as well. If anyone's wondering okay. which character it was. Yeah. Um, another one, another uh, interesting, amusing little fact that I found out is that BBC had Avon's metal studs on his boots removed as they felt that they were quote unacceptably aggressive. End quote. He doesn't get more. He doesn't get much more English than that, does it? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. There's also they cut a scene out of this episode too. Oh, what was that? Well, it's going to give a little bit away, but they filmed Villa at a certain point, and he's crying, and he's stressed out. And when they filmed it, they thought it was a little too much for a family viewing, and so they cut it from the episode. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about it when we get there. But it's quite. That's quite. A, it's a really good scene, and it's very intense. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it totally elevates this episode. It does, and Paul Darrow so, plays it fantastically. <laughs> oh, well, we'll get to it, but there is a moment that is just mwah, perfect. It's an amazing moment. I love it. Every time I see it, I just, I just smile because it's great. I think I know the one you mean. I may have even made a comment on it regarding you as well. <laughs> oh, it's just an amazing moment. It is. It's perfectly timed. It is. Uh, the show had lots of memorable guest stars, including Michael Gow, Colin Baker, and of course, friend of retrospection, Judy Matson. That's right. Yeah. yeah. She played a mutoid. I mean, I say mutoid, but I mean, she's far from that, isn't she, in the episode? How far? I want it in feet and inches. <laughs> Alaska. All the way over Alaska? That's a long way, Paul. Um, Gareth Thomas and famous Doctor Who Tom Baker wanted a crossover story, apparently. You know the alien invasion at the end of season two? Yes. Um, they, that was originally supposed to be Dalek. Ah, see, now, now it's ruined it for me. I don't think Daleks... I don't think Avon would have taken Daleks seriously. <laughs> it would have been interesting, wouldn't it, seeing Avon's reaction to a Dalek? Yeah, which one are you, salt or pepper? Yes. <laughs> um, it never happened because Terry Nation vetoed the idea. Yes, we should point out that Terry Nation is the creator of the Daleks and is also the creator of Blake 7. He's a very prolific um, writer of television, isn't he? Yeah. What else was he involved with, Paul? Uh, well, the first thing that springs to mind is he wrote quite a number of episodes of The Persuaders. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Good. That, well that that only came to mind because, as, as you know, I've <laughs> just. <laughs> but um, better than nothing. Terry Nation actually pitched the series to um, the BBC as Dirty Dozen in Space. I, I can see that. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And um, one last thing to say about it is that the series ended on an ambiguous cliffhanger, didn't it? Where everyone seemingly dies. Yeah. When they were asked, like, could there be another season? The response was, well, yeah, it's science fiction. It's very true. You see that still today, don't you? Yeah. Although in the final, you never see Arak. Oh, do you not? No, you see it. See one of them carrying it at some point. But in that final scene where they're in that room and they're all, you know, it's happening. Arak's not there. Oh, right. Okay. I'll look out for that then when I get there. Oh, yeah. But they all die, pal. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, but do they? (laughs) 
Um, it was also the episode, the, the cliffhanger episode, was the one that got the most complaints to the BBC. Go on. What was the What was the complaints? Well, apparently it was broadcast a few days before Christmas that year, and um, the producer referred to himself as the man who killed Father Christmas because apparently it just it just really upset all the little kids that were watching it. So I think irate parents oh. wrote wrote into the BBC. Right, right. I think it's a good idea for an ending. I mean, they they kind of done something similar with the end of the third season, but mm-hmm. you know. oh, thanks. <laughs> Oops. Uh, I mean, no, no. It's it, it's it's truly original. It never happened at all. <laughs> I think you should call this episode "Colin Spoils Blake Seven for Paul." All right. No, that was a joke. I don't. <laughs> No, oh, that's what it's going to be now. Oh, right. That's what it's going to be now. We've <laughs> <laughs> done it now. That's it. That, that, that's all I've got. All right, so shall we leap into the episode? Absolutely. So we begin with the theme music, which, whilst it's not as groundbreaking as the theme for Doctor Who, is still memorable and epic in its orchestral style. Yeah, it's not as groundbreaking, but it, 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 I agree. It, it, is, it is a fantastic theme tune. It's up there with Doctor Who and Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, it's very hummable. Humming it right now. Uh, visually, we appear to be flying over a barren orange planet. On screen is like a green heads-up display. And then we're, we're in space, and we can see that we're moving away from this orange planet. There's an explosion of white, and the name Blake 7 appears. So we, we don't have the animated intro of earlier episodes. Yeah, this took me by surprise, because I'd never seen this one, because obviously I'm not up to this point in the series. Um, I like the yeah. flight readout thing. I thought that worked really well. Not too sure about the new logo, though. I, I did prefer the one with the sideways Star Trek insignia. There's a lot of like, Star Trek <clears throat> connections. I mean, we've got teleporters. We've got the Federation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You think they wanted to move away? Yeah, maybe. Except here the Federation's the bad guys. Yes, it's kind of weird when, it, when you first realize that the Federation are the bad guys. Or are they? So, should point out, well, we already have, really, that we're watching an episode later in the series. There's, there's going to be spoilers a high. Mm-hmm. So, if you don't want it ruined, go away, watch up to this episode, and then come on back. We'll wait. <sighs> so, if you've done that, jolly good. So, at this point, Blake is no longer with them. No, he's gone. They don't never really explain where he's gone, though, do they? He's just gone somewhere and they can't find him. He went out for cigarettes, never came <laughs> back. You could do that in the 70s and the 80s, probably. You yeah. could, you could. But this was always like, people were always like, why is he still called Blake 7 now that Avon's leaving? Yeah, well, you're not going to rename the show, though, are you? No, there's still Blake 7 just because Blake's not there. Yeah, yeah, I, I never got that either. No, no. Uh, so the Liberator is gone, which is the starship they've been using for most of the show. we now got a freighter called Scorpio, which is run by a computer called Slave. Right, so did I hear this right, but is he a northern computer? He has a great voice, right? <laughs> he's like he's like, um, he's like Wallace from Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's reminiscent of like Mervyn, the paranoid android. Yeah. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Because it's all it, it just always sounds depressed when it's asked to do anything. I mean, it's basically you at the computer world, right? <laughs> You're probably right there, yeah. 
But I think it's also influenced a lot of like commodity ships computers like Holly in Red Dwarf. Yeah, I can see that. It's very much like Holly. Slightly more, um, con- um, you know, not condescending. What's the word? Um, complete opposite of condescending. Okay. Co- complete opposite. Yeah. It's a bit of an ass kisser. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm not totally sure if it is or not like it's it's obsequious to the point of where i think it's taking the piss yeah it could be actually yeah and that works really well with with, with the voice and the accent I think. yeah so we open up with scorpio flying towards a planet called malada slave says we are now stationary master it's like he's in the room with me slave reports back but adds at the end it is unsuitable for your illustrious life farm master I mean, Slave, his tone suggests that he neither thinks Avon is illustrious or barely even a life farm, in my mind. <laughs> but no one gets it. Yeah. We yeah. just take it on face value, right? Definitely, yeah. I know it's easy to knock the special effects in this show. It's kind of a, it's kind of a low-hanging fruit deal, isn't it, with the special effects in all these BBC shows? So, yeah. so instead of laughing at it, I'm going to wonder why the BBC have never tried to update the effects like they've done on some of the Doctor Who releases. Well, because Blake 7 is like the forgotten stepchild. You think so? It's never treated very nicely. Even on DVD, it's kind of just shoveled onto DVD. It's never had a Blu-ray, Blu-ray release. Oh, right. Okay. I thought it was slightly more regarded than that. No, I've, I've, from what I've read, it's pretty much That's a shame. treated with a bit of disdain. Yeah. yeah, it is a shame. I think in many ways, it's, it's almost it's as controversial, but... Slightly superior to a lot of Doctor Who. Well, the problem with Doctor is there's so many episodes that you're going to get like a bunch of duddens no matter what yeah. you do, right? Yeah. Whereas Blake Seven was only so many seasons and then that's yeah. it. But it's a, it's a complete story. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. a shame. It's a shame. I'd like to see what they could do with it. Yeah. Yeah, I would too. So the other results make the planet sound less than inviting, especially the temperature. Cold at night, then, says Tarrant. Avon remarks that Tarrant can tell them when he gets back. Tarrant's not happy as he points out that the, the message they received was for Avon, not him. I get chill blains, replies Avon. So, as this episode is about a message and Avon visiting somebody, instead of calling it Blake 7, they could have called it Avon Calling. <laughs> Whenever I hear his name mentioned, that always goes through my head. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it's Avon. Ding dong. <laughs> I don't know why I went Leslie Phillips <laughs> on that, though. <laughs> Ding dong. <laughs> a, a little guest appearance from Leslie there. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess because I've watched a F- Leslie Phillips film recently. <laughs> he, he is great, though. Yeah, he is. Paul Darrow really is playing it like he's going bonkers as well. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a, there's a huge pantomime element to to Blake Seven and this episode especially. Yes, definitely. With, with, with um, the two characters that we're going to meet in a minute, especially, yeah. Yeah, and, and at some points, Avon is almost like moustache twirling. He is. I, I did read, um, I don't know whether this is true or not, but I did read that, that Paul Darrow got a little bit disillusioned with the inconsistencies of how they were writing um, Avon through, through the series. So he decided, by this point, he decided that all he was going to do was just play the character like he was slightly losing his mind a little bit. Ah, okay. 
That's cool. I like. That. I suppose that that I, I suppose might... that explains the the you know the, uh, the the shift in nature of the characters' personality from different from writers to episodes. If he plays it like that, right, right. Am I dreaming, or did Paul Darrow write at least one Blake Seven novel? Do you know what I I, I think he did as well? Yeah, okay. I know he was a strong um, yeah. proponent of trying to bring it back at one point. Yes. Mm. Dale agrees to go, and Dana says she'll back him up. Avon asks for another volunteer and looks at Villa, but Villa says he prefers to stay with Avon where it's safe. He's going to regret that. Yeah. So we cut to the planet. In a dome laboratory is an old, slightly mad scientist assistant called Pinder. He calls another one over who is the main scientist, Egrarian. Pinder tells him, they are here. Agrarian pushes Pinder out of his seat, but is so disgusted by the remnants of Pinder's lunch, which is over the council. I mean, these two are just having a ball. <laughs> they are. They're really milking the scenery for all it's worth, aren't they? Yeah, and especially when they start laughing, like when they see the freighter on the yeah. blue screen. No, no, I'm not going to say. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to point out that I'm not going to say Agrarian every single time I say the character. I'm just going to say Egg. Okay, but he does look like. <laughs> He looks a bit like Max Wall, doesn't he? Do you remember Max Wall? Oh yeah, yeah, the yeah. comedian. That was the that was yeah. that was the first thing that hit yeah. me when I saw when I saw him. You got oh, you hit by a wall. Yes, right in the face. Yeah. Best place. Back in the Scorpio, Villa is saying that he thinks the message was a phony, as the Grorian hasn't been heard of for ten years. Su Lin has never heard of him at all. Avon tells her that Grorian was said to be a genius and that scientists are still trying to figure out Agrarian's theory of parallel matter. It turns out that Agrarian vanished with a few million credits from the Space Research Institute, which is why Villa doesn't think Agrarian would be on Maladar, because, you know, it's the older shot of the galaxy. Ooh, that's controversial, Colin. <laughs> I know at least one of our listeners is going to have issues with that one, but, uh, okay, all right, on your head be it, all right. <laughs> Avon believes it's a good hideaway. Villa says, what's the point of having money if you're going to live in a hole like that? Avon says there's a big difference between Agrarian and Villa. Agrarian has a brain. Well, replies Villa, if you had a brain, maybe it would have occurred to you that this could be a Federation trap. It has, says Avon. That's why I've sent Tarrant. On the other hand, if it's genuine, Agrarian may want to make a deal. And a deal from a man like that could be interesting slave interjects my humble apologies for interrupting your noble thoughts but an inferior person is trying to communicate with you oh slave i know how you feel you know avon always picks on villa he never really appreciates what he brings to the team you know he's got all those special skills that he's got and avon just shits all over him at any opportunity yeah gonna leave it there yeah i don't yeah. Well, what do you mean? I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> don't understand what you're saying. I mean, he lost me when he started saying special skills. Yeah, I surprised myself there. Yeah. It's a Grorian calling from the planet. He says that he has instructions and that a failure to follow them will have fatal consequences. Avon says that sounds unpleasantly like a threat. Agrarian says that with a price on his head from the Federation, he cannot let them go without coming to some sort of arrangement. Avon says that the Federation stopped looking for Agrarian a long time ago. He's a forgotten man. And Pinder laughs at this and gets a dirty look from Agrarian. 
but I've not forgotten them, he retorts. Mm-hmm. Igrarian lays out the plan. A shuttle will be sent to them and Avon will board it and arrive at the Biodome, alone and unarmed. Avon mentions that they have a teleporter, but Igrarian insists he takes a shuttle, and if Avon doesn't agree, he can't let them leave. Plus, isn't he intrigued as to why he was brought there? Sulin thinks Igrarian is bluffing about being able to destroy them. Avon isn't so sure... Plus, he admits, he is curious. Egg and Pindar's relationship is almost a direct parallel to Avon and Villa, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Mm. You're right. Interesting. Yeah. So Avon agrees to the terms, but doesn't want to come alone. He asks Agrarian if he is alone. Yes, apart from my assistant. Then I will bring my assistant to watch yours. Sounds like a good plan. It does, right? And there's some nice lines in this episode. There, There is, and... We should should also say that um, if anyone who's familiar with, and I'm sure lots of our listeners are familiar with, this kind of BBC science fiction, um, it's very different than the stuff that was being produced in America, isn't it? It's very, it's very wordy. Yeah, lots yeah. of scenes of people talking. Um, but it's always interesting because the dialogue's so well written, I think. Yes. I mean, yeah, in, I in other, in other yeah. shows, it, it could fall a bit flat. Yeah, it's always delivered well. Yeah. Uh, except maybe Tarrant. You don't, not keen I'm not on keen him, on him, though. no, but, I mean, in the first two series, I think Gareth Thomas and, and Paul Darrow played off each other really well. Really, really well. Yes. And then you've got writers like Terry Nation and Robert Holmes churning out all the good stuff. It's, it, it, it's perfect, really, in that respect. While this discussion is going on, Pinder and Agrarian start playing a version of chess. And Agrarian finally agrees that Avon can bring one person, but they must also be unarmed. Avon asks Agrarian to turn on the video link. He wants to see that Agrarian is who he says he is, and satisfied that he is, they wait for the shuttle to approach. Avon chooses an unhappy villa to go with him. Isn't there a line about, doesn't Villa say a girl might interest him? implying that maybe he should take one of, one of the girls rather than himself. Yeah, because Villa starts saying, like, um, you know, Agrarian has been on his own all these years and super brains, they tend to go pop. He's just trying to get out of going because yeah. Villa's character is never one to put himself in danger. No, he, do you think he's a coward or do you think he's just got a very strong sense of self-preservation? I think he's a bit of a coward. Like, he says that he wants to be with Avon where it's safe because he also believes that Avon will never put himself in danger. So if he's with Avon, then he's not going to be in danger too. It's not going to... It doesn't work no, out that way, does it? No, it doesn't, but normally, <laughs> it, normally it would work out. Yeah, yeah. Because Avon has a strong sense of self-preservation, but isn't a coward. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. And I think the situation that they find themselves in, because it is... There is no way out of it. Right, yeah. Well, there is one way out of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So Avon ignores all Villa's, like, ideas and sarcastically says, if I didn't know better, I think you were trying to get out of this. Villa suggests that he can go back to Scorpio to keep an eye on Tarrant, but he's interrupted by the sight through the shuttle's view screen of the Scorpio moving away. Part of Agrarian's instructions was that it should move out of orbit and out of teleport range. Avon takes out a gun and stashes it in the shuttle. Back on Scorpio, Sulin is trying to get a fix on Agrarian's base for Tarrant. 
Why? Dana asks him. Do you think we'll have to drop in on him? Heavily, replies Tarrant. Mm-hmm. That's a good line, because is he saying, like, he heavily believes we're going to have to drop in on him, or does he mean we're going to have to heavily drop on him? Yeah, yeah, it's got double meaning, hasn't it? Yeah. Tarrant reveals that he's believed Agrarian was helped in his escape at the highest level. Servalan? Suggests Dana. And we should point out that Servalan is the... She's the main baddie in the Blake 7 episodes. Yeah, um, she's kind of a cross between... Um, well, she looks like someone that, that wouldn't look out of place at a Susie and the Banshees concert from about 1982, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jacqueline Pierce, though, she's fantastic in this role. Yeah, she is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very big hands. Oh, is that that German director again? Yeah, <laughs> he's back. back in it. <laughs> Very back. weird. Making a double appearance, <laughs> surprisingly. He's even bigger now. Ah, oh, he's getting excited. All that sausage. Canuck first. No, I'll use the doorbell, thank you. And so, um, because Dana suggests it's Servalin, and Tarrant says, well, quite possibly, and because Servalin only does favours knowing at some point there'll be repayment, he suspects a connection between Agrarian requesting Avon and Servalin. Meanwhile, Avon and Villa are standing on a device that's checking them for weapons. Fred is dead. Green is clean. It's like a, it's like a chant. An agrarian chant. <laughs> Benedictine? I bet he does. <laughs> still got it. Still, yeah, still pushing it. <laughs> Not going anywhere. Luckily, luckily, it's green and they can enter. Agrarian says it's a great honor to meet them. And that Pinder is overwhelmed. I mean, he actually looks underwhelmed. It's it's the kind of look you have when you open the fridge and see vegetables but no beer. <laughs> it's it's more horrific than that, Colin, trust me. Um, there's fun interplay between Pinder and Agrarian, finishing with Pinder saying, I'm pleased to make your acquaintance, ma'am. Villa leans over to Avon. I think he's talking to you. They say don't mind him, he thinks of everything in symbols. Doesn't he have symbols for men and women? Apparently not. Agrarian offers them a drink. Avon just wants to talk. Do you think that Paul Darrow was slightly alarmed at this actor eating up the screen in front of him? <laughs> it's like competition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. Because that's usually what he does, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. There are times when you can see him kind of smiling. Yes. So I wonder if he's kind of enjoying it as well. Yeah. He does have that look quite a lot, though, doesn't it? Sometimes it's a look of, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> it is a little bit of that, yeah. <laughs> well, I can't believe I'm getting paid for this. Never well, mind. Fun, well. Funnily enough, that's the look that you give me a lot of the time when we're doing the podcast, Colin. <laughs> Apart from the being paid, oh, yeah. obviously. But... Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, but my look is I can't believe I'm not being paid for this. Agrari <laughs> <laughs> says they don't look like ruthless desperados of legend, but they have killed a lot of people. Only a pursuit of liberty points at Avon. Agrarian goes on to insult Avon. Natural leaders are rarely encumbered by intelligence, greed, egotism, animal cunning, and viciousness are the important attributes. I didn't know you were a natural leader, Paul. Do you know that was the lo- one of the lines that I, o- I almost said for the uh, for our opening? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes. But I thought no, he's probably got a bit later in the <laughs> in the episode, so I'll, I'll let him do it. <laughs> Very tiny bit. Yes, so I've heard, yeah. A tip. <laughs> Just a tip. 
Avon stirs ahead and says that he didn't come here to be flattered, but Agrarian knows why Avon came. Curiosity and the thought that there might be something in it for him. Agrarian asks, what would you say if I offered you mastery of the galaxy? And I would say thank you, replies Avon. Villa thinks Agrarian has lost the plot, but Agrarian tells Pinder to prepare an experiment involving tachyons. Oh, those tachyons again. Yeah, uh, tachyons. In the 1967 paper that coined the term, Gerald Feinberg proposed... Meanwhile, inside Paul's head... Finger mouse, finger mouse, the never stop to think a mouse, the always on the brink a mouse, finger mouse, that's me. I am the mouse called Finger Mouse. And verve. I get past cats so easily with my famous body swerve. Finger Mouse. Paul, are you still there? Are you awake? So, sorry, I think I drifted off there for a second. You could sleep when you're at work. That's true. Avon points out that tachyons are theoretical, but Agroin says, not anymore. He leads them over to some equipment and tells them that it's a, a tachyon funnel. It, it's tacky. That's what it is. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's one of those, um, it looks like Meccano, doesn't it? It's one of those filing yes. cabinets that isn't a filing cabinet. It's just a, you know, shelves that just look like made, made out of um, slats. Yeah. 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 Agroian says it taken him half a lifetime to build, which is ironic because it looks like it took a BBC employee about 10 minutes. <laughs> but that's tachyons for you. What does it do, asks Avon. It destroys things, replies Agroian. Anything, completely, at any range. He shows them a moon 17 light years away, presses a button, and the whole moon is vaporized. Now the idea of ruling the galaxy doesn't seem so absurd. Avon wants to know why Agrarian is offering it to them. The mad scientist says he wants to see the Federation destroyed and Avon is ruthless enough to do it. But Avon points out, with this weapon, Agrarian doesn't need them. Now the scientist says destroying the Federation is not enough. It must be replaced by another command structure and Avon would be best placed to do so. The scientist has no interest of being in charge. He just wants revenge. You, you can see that Avon... Um doesn't quite believe what he's seeing, doesn't quite believe what Egg's saying. But at the same time, he's Avon. If he could rule yeah. the universe, he probably would. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree, totally. So Agrarian reveals that the science board forced him to abscond to this lifeless planet after they refused to fund his tachyon work. He wants to see them rot, and then he can return to Earth and continue his work. He then drops into the conversation that he wants Aurak. We should point out that Aurak is a sophisticated artificial intelligence referred to by its creator, Ensor, as a brain rather than a computer. And not a box filled with uh, coloured tubes and Christmas lights. Absolutely no, no, not. No, no. no. And, and, and not a device that kind of changes what it can do from episode <laughs> to episode either. <laughs> yes. Totally yes, not. Totally not. No, not at all. <laughs> I think it's telepathic at one point. That doesn't surprise me. It was the 80s, though. We, we, yeah. We've established that in the 80s, computers could do anything. Yes. Mm -hmm. Avon says, no, 
Iraq is a vital part of their defense. It keeps them one step ahead of the Federation. Ingrarian wants it to help him in his work. Villa thinks this is a good deal. And suddenly, Pinder shouts checkmate. He's been playing chess while they've been talking. Ingrarian thinks Pinder has been cheating and grabs his hand. He starts muttering about how Pinder can feel his bones breaking. Avon tells him they have a deal. Ingrarian releases Pinder. Back on the Scorpion, Sue Lin sees a heat flare and they think it's either a shuttle returning or a missile. And they're relieved when it turns out to be the shuttle. On the shuttle, Villa talks about all the things he's going to do. Now they have the ultimate power. He could have anything. An imperial palace and a bodyguard of a thousand hand-picked virgins. Why? Why would you want a bodyguard of a thousand hand-picked virgins? Surely you'd want a bodyguard consisting of merciless killers who obey your every command, like Baron Ironblood's Red Shadows. Not a bunch of virgins. Although... Thinking about it, if they were Wigan girls in their mid-twenties and still virgins, they've probably acquired a fearsome set of skills to fend off the opposite sex. So perhaps they'd be good after all. I, I wouldn't but, mess with them. No, but why hand-picked? I mean, how else are you going to select these virgins, I guess, with a virgin selection machine? Maybe Agrorian has invented one of those. Or maybe I'm just thinking about this way too much. <laughs> I think you're thinking about it just right. Yes. Yeah, just the right just amount. the right amount of... Um... Avon doesn't say anything but reveals that he's wondering about Pinder saying please to meet your acquaintance ma'am Villa brushes this off but Avon says it sounded like a phrase that Pinder had been taught what if he'd been taught to greet a specific stranger Serverland for example now I'm not saying this feels like a bit of a logic jump but if Avon was evil Knievel then this thought is the Grand Canyon yeah it, it, it is a bit of a, a bit of a stretch isn't it yeah Although, maybe Avon is paranoid, because after all, Servalan has been the cause of most of his problems for years. Yeah, now. and at this point, Servalan seems obsessed with getting the Liberator. It's like how I blame you for things, even though you're 5,000 miles away. Oh, I've missed my train! Damn you, Paul! Damn you! Where is my bodyguard of virgins? <laughs> well, I, 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 it's nice to have a role. As a bodyguard of Burgess? Yeah. <laughs> What's your role, Paul? Well, you know. <laughs> yeah. W whatever you can take. I can take a lot. Villa doesn't agree, but Avon points out how much Servalon wants Arak. He thinks that this is one time they have to play it very cagely. When has Avon not no, played anything cagely? He keeps his cards pretty close to his chest at all times, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, it's his MO. Back on the dome, it's revealed that Servalon is the... Now... No matter the location or the assignment, Servalan is always dressed like she's going to a 1970s cocktail party. <laughs> right? Uh, you, you can, yeah. I, you just imagine her eating a prawn cocktail whilst eyeing the Black Forest Gatto on the dessert trolley. <laughs> Getting involved in the fondue set. <laughs> yeah. She's always, like, outlandishly dressed. Yeah, she... I, 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 didn't, I didn't make a note about a cocktail party. I... I, I to me, she looked like she was about to go to a new romantic nightclub in this episode. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. I mean, she looks great. Oh, mm. yeah. She's got a, a kind of... She's, she's very strong. She's very beautiful, but she's also got... She plays it... She's got quite a vulnerability about it at times as well, I think. That she tries to hide. Yeah, they play that in some of the episodes. But she also has the ability to, like, switch on the pantomime performance to match... Yes. Hold arrows. 
And I think that's why they work well yeah. together. Yeah, and the, the the hatred between the two characters, you can feel it when they're when they're in scenes together. Mm. Yeah. And I should point out that I keep saying, like, pantomime performance. I don't mean anything negative about that. Oh, I'm fully aware that you don't mean anything negative, oh, yeah. and I wouldn't have taken it that way either. <laughs> yeah. Right. But says that Avon is bringing Arak there, and that his death is a mathematical certainty. Servalon says that it would be so easy to point the Tachyon funnel at the Scorpio and kill them all. But then, they wouldn't get Arak. With Ogrorian's scheme, they get everything. Now this overweight, bushy-eared madman wants to be Servalan's loving consort. Yeah. Which, yeah, she's, she's less than impressed by. She brushes him off by offering the chief scientific position. Ooh, you'd be like, chief scientific position? Is that like the wheelbarrow? <laughs> she plays it like she's almost physically repulsed by him at times, doesn't she? <laughs> He kind of would be. He's not the most you know, not, dashing of men. He's not, though. Especially someone as beautiful as her. Absolutely. She does it very well, though, because she's, she knows that she needs him. So she'll take it as far as she, she can go without, without, without you know, egging him on too much, <laughs> if you get my meaning. Right, right. Yeah. There's one thing she does later that makes me laugh. Okay. All right. Yeah. Agrarian wants to batter the Tachyon Funnel to be Servalan's consort. Her partner. She says that she has never shared power with anybody. She pretends to agree to him, but says, remember, I punish failure as quickly as I reward success. And then she slaps him twice on the face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, in fairness, he does seem to enjoy. But I just like she just taps him. That's funny. He, he does. I, I was going to ask you, do you think that he, you know, in his, in his trousers when she slapped him? Because <laughs> he plays it that way, doesn't he? It does, yeah, yeah. Back on the Scorpio, Villa's trying to bullshit Su Lin and Dana about his knowledge of tachyons and what happened on the planet, but they're not buying it. They're used to his nonsense now. Mm-hmm. Avon says Arak is loaded on the shuttle. The others are not keen on this plan, but Avon doesn't see a choice because Agroin can just blow their ship up. Su Lin says, how do you know Agroin won't do that anyway? Avon reveals that Agroin and Pinder are weak and old, and if they try anything, he will kill them. Even Villa can take Pinder because he must be in his 70s. Tarrant finds this odd. He's checked Varak, who can access central records. It's revealed that Igrorian was power mad from his earliest days. He was part of a conspiracy to take over the Federation. It's also revealed that according to the records, Pinder should be 28 years old. Doing all that work puts years on you. Yeah, that's why you look so young, right? Uh, hang on. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We cut to Servalan communicating with Agrarian. He tells her the shuttle is arriving, and she says she'll watch it on the monitor. Agrarian is fussing around, making sure everything is okay. He says he feels uneasy. I think this guy should have been a farmer instead of a scientist. <laughs> and then, then he'd have been Agrarian the Agrarian. I knew it was coming. I knew something was coming. I didn't know exactly what it was. But <laughs> You want to thought I can make so many puns on Agrarian. Oh, uh, yeah, you never disappoint me, Colin. No. Not when it comes to puns. Oh, everything else well, in life, yeah, the, though. The, the implication of that was quite bad, wasn't it? I didn't mean it in quite that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, puns, you're only saving grace. <laughs> everything else you shit at. <laughs> Thank God you've got puns, sunshine. <laughs> well, puns... 
You've been nabbed. Well, we, we've all got one talent. And why did you get all Norman on me then for a second? <laughs> oh, I was being you. Oh, I don't say like that. You just went, oh. I did, didn't I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <That's> not, yeah. <laughs> Good sad man, Norman, if you were munching a pie and whipping a whippet. <laughs> and I usually am. Uh, no, yeah. The whippet, anyway. You can't whip a whippet. I'm against animal cruelty, Carl. Oh, are we talking about actual whippets? Yeah, what were you thinking? No, about? never mind. I thought you were being rude. Is a whippet something else? No. I just thought you were being rude. Generally. Oh, it, it, have you decided that this is, you know, like, like bashing the bishop, whipping the whippet? Whipping whip the whippet, yes. Yeah. Is that a new thing for you, is That's, it? It's very angry at times. Does yeah. it? But then just sput- sputters and collapses. <laughs> Well, he's getting on, you know. He's not the whippet he used to be. I'm intrigued by the fact that you refer to it as he. Well, it's not going to be a she, is it? Well, it could be an it. No. No, it's a manly he, he manly, right? Uh, manly, manly he. <laughs> manly, is it manly he? Oh, look. <laughs> anyway, why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about my whippet? I don't know. You started it. Well, you mentioned whippet. Yeah. Whipping the whippet. What you said. Yeah. I know. You, you, you made it into something rude and disgusting as usual. I can't be held responsible for where the things that you say take my mind. Oh, you can't be held responsible <laughs> for your actions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. That's the kind of thing you'll be screaming as they're herding you off into the back of a van. I did I didn't think that one through, did I? No, no not really. <laughs> I'm saying that as well, probably. <laughs> I can't be held responsible. <laughs> a straight jacket's too tight. Straight, straight, straight jacket. All right, carry on. Enough, enough of that right. nonsense. <laughs> uh, on the shuttle, Avon is ruminating that somehow, some way, a groin is going to double cross them, but he can't think of a way around it. He remembers that they were made to land on the ancillary pad, not the main pad, even though the main one is more convenient. He's wondering if the main pad is already occupied. You're thinking of Servalan again, says Villa. She is never far from my thoughts, replies Avon. You think he's attracted to her? There is a thing about him in, in one of the episodes. Mm. I think there's a there's an episode where they almost she does almost share power with him. Yes, yeah, that's, and he's tempted. Yeah, I think that's in the either the end of the first series or the it's in the second series. Okay. But I do remember that. Oh, so he, yeah, yeah, it's totally a thing between them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Back on the Scorpio, Dana alerts Tarrant to the fact that there was another ship down there. It was down there before they arrived. Could it be the Federation? Unlikely, with Agrarian's record. But you still think it could be Servalan? asks Sulin. If it is, replies Tarrant, then Avon is walking into more trouble than he bargained for. So we cut to Servalan. She's watching on the monitor as Avon and Villa enter the room. Egg and Pindar welcome them in. Villa asks Pindar how his arm is. He stutters, thanking him for asking. But Egg says that he was fine after some time in the medical chamber. Naughty boys must be punished, says Egg. That's a phrase you've heard a few times, isn't it? No. Didn't your... um... Dominatrix that you used to visit use that phrase. <laughs> Naughty Nina, she was called, right? 
<clears throat> this is a bit, isn't it? We should just say this is a bit. This what? is a bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Top side of nose. It's a bit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I forgot that. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Egg then goes on to ask Avon to put Aurak on the table to verify that he is the real thing. Yeah, not some... F- not, yeah, not, not just something almost, that they've not... Almost gave it away. <laughs> Fingers yeah. on lips. But before they do that, Avon says that he wants to see the tachyon funnel disconnected. It's the best thing, isn't it? It's dangerous. I'm, I really don't want to mention tachyons again. I don't know what's going to happen. You just pulled the plug out of the wall. Would yeah. you do that? I mean, it must be powered by something. I guess so, yeah. No, I'm just more concerned about the word tachyon setting you off again. Oh, really? Yeah. Into another theory? Oh, I can if you want. We can discuss it. No. no. I mean, it's kind of oh, wasted right. on me, isn't it? Which is it's ironic, because you're usually wasted. <laughs> Egg says that Avon is very mistrustful, but Avon tells him that they have read his security file. Egg takes a report from Avon and tells Pindar to disconnect the funnel. Egg reads the report and declares it's all lies while Serverline watches things transpire. But Egg inadvertently mentions Serverline, much to her exasperation. He puts his foot in it. He does, yeah. Big time. Mm-hmm. I know that feeling. Yeah, you do, right? Yeah. yeah. Avon asks Egg why he mentioned Serverline. Egg tries to talk his way out of it, saying that she was the head of the Federation when all these lies were transcribed about him. It's true. Nice save. Didn't you hear that she's dead? Asks Avon suspiciously. Yes, replies Egg. But I'd heard she'd assumed a new identity. So I'm guessing this is something else I've missed. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Keep racking them up here, don't we? On this episode that's not going to affect my my overall watch, where I am. You've done it to me before. I've never done it to you. No, I've still got the bruises. It's all lies. Egg says that anyway, once he gets back to Earth, he will hunt down whoever was responsible for all these lies. Avon puts, quote-unquote, Orak down on the table. Egg asks him some questions to determine whether he is the real thing. He asks him about a thesis that he wrote, and Orak reels it off, also stating that it received a very low rating. That's quite an amusing moment. You've written some things that were like theses, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's harsh. That's very harsh, Colin. Pindar thinks that this is funny, until Egg clips his ear. Avon tells him that Orak often gives more info than requested. Egg, Egg is satisfied. Oddly, I give less information than than is requested usually, Colin, don't I? The opposite of Orak. Yeah, pretty much. Egg is satisfied and orders Pindar to take the funnel down to the cargo area. Avon orders Villa to give him a hand. And we should say that in the scene earlier that you were talking about, Egg gets quite touchy-feely with Villa, doesn't he? Yeah, so maybe he see it's a similar relation, like yeah. he's talking about the similar relationships mm-hmm. where you saw the connection. Yeah, yeah. Egg seems slightly put out that Avon is still suspicious. Avon questions Egg about Pindar's real age. Egg explains that Pindar was in a radiation accident which aged him 50 years in an instant. We've all been there. Yeah, that Beauty and the Beast podcast. <laughs> I enjoyed that one. I aged. I can see it. I can see the lines on your face. Yeah. yeah. The radiation was based on neutrons. And Avon picks up on the fact that neutrons 
are part of the funnel. Beg reluctantly admits that eight of them form its core. Core. <laughs> Neutrons. It's like Sid, Sid James of yes. molecules. Core. <laughs> <laughs> Egg calls down to the cargo bay. Pindar has gone for a lie down, but Villa tells him that everything is ready to go, including him. So he's had enough of this strange atmosphere in this place now. He wants out. Yep. Can't blame him, really. Don't no? Egg, Egg isn't the most yeah. pleasant person to be around. Is oh, it? no, he's obnoxious. Mm. So again, this what happens now goes back to what I was saying about Egg um, taking a bit of a fancy to to Villa because he tells Avon that he could get very fond of Villa. Avon smiles and says that he'll tell him that. Yeah, so he's thinking like it'd be a replacement for Pinder because Pinder's getting old. I think that's what we're getting at, isn't it? Right, yeah. Quickly, while Egg's back is turned, Avon presses a small button on the side of Orak before giving him Orak's key. And we say it's a key, but it's like a little box that they slide into the top of it. It makes a, a weird cartoon noise, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 It's a great noise though, I like it. Yeah, it is, it is. It's um Is all this still the BBC Radiophonics workshop? I would imagine I'd it imagine is. it is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would think so. They did some stellar stuff in, in this and Doctor Who then. So they walk away laughing, and Serverland switches off her monitor. On the Scorpio, the crew's still waiting. Dana suddenly tells Tarrant that the shuttle is leaving. Tarrant is, is elated, saying, that means he's got away with it. With the tachyon funnel, asks Sulin. Not just the funnel, last time. Yeah, he knows the plan. He knows the plan. On the shuttle, Avon and Villa are celebrating that they've done it. What's the escape velocity on this thing, asks Villa. I don't know, replies Avon. Why don't you ask Orak? Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. We almost gave it away. We did. Back on the planet, Egg is questioning Orak as Servalant enters. He apologises to her about the report, saying that he would never conspire against her. But she doesn't care at the moment, as she has what she wants. Orak. Mm. So yep. think. But Orak doesn't seem to be working. She tells Egg... Oh, it's gone quiet, gone right? quiet. She tells Egg to remove the key, but nothing happens. Avon has tricked them. Servaline goes crazy, saying that she will kill him for this. I wouldn't get on the wrong side of her when she's angry. That's scary, isn't she? Yeah. On the shuttle, we see that Orak is actually under the desk. And Avon explains that all he gave them was a replica that he made a few months back as a contingency plan, should it ever arise. That was forward thinking there, wasn't it? <laughs> All I imagine is that you go into this room and there's just like, you know, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> but it's just filled with yes. racks. <laughs> and, and they're like, Avon, I, I don't think we need all of those. Or you never can yeah, tell. <laughs> Suddenly, Orak explains that they can't make their escape speed. On the Scorpio, the crew discover that the shuttle isn't on its correct flight plan. Egg takes the fake Orak apart, working out how Avon fooled him. Servalan isn't impressed until Egg tells her that this means that the real one is still on the shuttle and can be recovered after the shuttle crashes as long as fire doesn't touch it. But they've fixed that problem. The shuttle is set to crash in a marshy area. Servaline just she just raises her eyebrows at him, doesn't she? Like, yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> it's going so well at this point. 
<laughs> he starts saying that, oh, Arak is indestructible. Mm. All right, first of all, Arak doesn't look not indestructible. A- Let's be yeah. honest about that. Second of all, Arak is not indestructible because it's been damaged multiple times in episodes previously. <laughs> I think that's where this inconsistency that Paul Darrow was concerned about keeps creeping in. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> On the shuttle, Avon watches Villa make repairs. They switch to manual, and the shuttle climbs. I thought it was nice how even though they just tilt the camera to give the impression of going up, somebody thought to attach a piece of string to Orac and make it seem like it's sliding <laughs> on the table. <laughs> yeah, but they don't bother later. <laughs> they don't bother later, but they did uh, it in this one scene. Yeah, they did, yeah. 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 On the planet, Egg tells Serverland that Avon and Villa have managed to switch to manual, but it'll do no good. And Serverland muses that she would wish to see Avon's face as he dies. Back on the shuttle, Orak tells Avon the escape velocity is still unattainable. It's no good, says Villa. We're not going to get out of this one. They've set it up. Yeah, I should also point out that Arak says they got like 10 minutes left, which is actually yes. pretty accurate to the end of the episode. Oh, is it? Yeah. Kind of real time. That's interesting. Yeah. Yes, but how, growls Avon. On the Scorpio, Dana says that we, we have to try to help them. But Tarrant says that there's nothing that they can do. Sulin then suggests that they take the ship back into close orbit, although Tarrant doesn't see how that will help. It's like, <laughs> the way you say it, it's like, we could go into close orbit. Oh. I don't think that'll help. Sulin. <laughs> it is a bit like that, though, the way he says it. On the shuttle, Orat tells them that, that, as you say, they only have 10 minutes left. How do we spend it? asks Villa. And then Poldaro goes into full RSC mode. Working. Working like we've never worked before. I'm not sure I understand, Colin. Yeah, okay. Well, some of us, right have these things called jobs. And at these jobs, we have to work. Work involves movement and actions that have kind of a goal that you have to obtain. Okay. Yeah. No? I I mean, I I have one of those things that you mentioned. What was it? What was it? A job? Job. 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 I think I've got one of those. I've got one of those. Yeah. But moving? Movement? Moving. Uh, Yeah. All right. You know what? People who are pretty don't have to worry about things like that. So you're okay. That's very true. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Anyway, Avon works out that they need to lighten the load and jettison every nut and bolt to reach escape velocity. On the planet, Pindar asks to be excused, while Egg pours himself and Servalan a celebratory drink. But Servalan says that she's been doing some calculations of her own and that on her shuttle, there won't be room for more than two people. Pindar won't be able to leave with them. As they say this, he walks in and he looks none too impressed hearing this, does he? He's just stood there. (laughs) Pindar then tells Egg that Avon's shuttle has deviated from its course and Egg rushes back to the control panel. Back on the shuttle, Avon and Villa are stripping the ship burr and jettisoning equipment left, right and centre. Wait, why are they stripping the ship's burr? What, what, Burr's got like, oh, get off me, get off my clothes. <laughs> Is it that Burr again that we mention quite often yeah, in yeah, our yeah. podcast? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He does come off <laughs> a lot, doesn't he? Yeah. I know, it'd be easy just to throw the Burr out, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that loosen the weight? It would, <laughs> Don't just it take would. his clothes off. Yes, it would. Don't strip him. <laughs> strip the Burr. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what are we going to do? What? We're going to strip the Burr. 
I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Look at picnic baskets. Um, <laughs> okay, wait a minute. What's that? It's some music. Just this burst swinging little tassels on his nipples. I hate Will and Villa in the corner. They yeah, will grab the tassels. No, no, they just grab the tassels and pull them off. That's that's a that's an ounce right there. We're quite cruel to this bird. You know? Yeah, I know. It's been for a lot. Yeah, I'm sure you'll go through a lot more. <laughs> yeah, but unfortunately, they've run out of stuff to throw out. So Avon returns to Orak. Orak tells Avon that they need to lose 70 kilos exactly to escape. Avon tells Villa to go back to the cargo bay and strip everything else off that he can. It's not enough. Not nearly enough, acts Avon. And I said, I wrote acts, not... not. <laughs> yeah. No, not yet. Damn it, he says. What weighs 70 kilograms? Villa weighs 70 kilograms, Orak suddenly states. And Orak states it like he's... He's the biggest shit-stirrer that you've ever heard in your life, doesn't he? <laughs> you almost imagine that, that all right, because, uh, 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 um, um, uh, <laughs> Avon weighs 73 kilos. <laughs> and then it's the pause, and it's the face of Avon that's just fantastic. It is, because he, what he does is he looks directly into the camera, and for a moment we see him wrestle with, with the dilemma, doesn't he? Just for a moment, yeah. But only for a, yeah, yeah, yeah. but only for a moment, his face changes, doesn't it? And he just reaches down and he takes out the gun that he placed under the desk earlier. Yeah. So he's decided. <laughs> he's decided where he's going to get those seventy kilos. He has, and it, it, it is a great moment. It's the best moment in the episode. You're, you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. It's played so well by Paul Darrow. Villa, he says. <laughs> that's, that's, that's also the great bit. It's the way he's like, Villa, uh, I need your help. And it's the way that he almost nonchalantly just walks towards the door as well. He's not, he's not rushing about it. Villa. Right. It's a very, very dark moment for the character, though, isn't it? I mean, he's gonna—he's essentially just going to kill a man that he's been a comrade with since the show started. Now. And I know he doesn't like him very much, but they've been through a lot together. Yeah, and this is one of the things that gets me about this is we're in the last series of this show. Mm-hmm. If this had been like an American show or a modern show, by this point, they'd be a family. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like Firstscape, which, and I think Firstscape borrows heavily from Blake Seven. Okay. Uh, but by the end of Firstscape, everyone's a family. They're all friends, you know, I, but not this show. We're, we're coming to the end, and there's still like distrust and. It, it it is pretty much every man for himself. I mean, they work yeah. together when they have to, but they'd all drop each other in a, in a minute's notice. I think, with the possible yeah. exception of maybe of, of Dana. I think she's yes, she's got that family kind of vibe to her, hasn't she? That she sees them all as a as a kid. Yeah, yeah. It it, it it's really good. Um. So Avon goes into the cargo hold, calling Villa's name. Villa, meanwhile, has somehow realised what is happening, and he's just hiding, terrified, isn't he? Yeah, but actually, if when Arak is speaking, if you look behind him, the door is still closing. On ah, Villa. I see. I, I did wonder so how he how he knew. 
he hears it. It's still closing. I see. Yeah. Right. Okay. I missed. Yeah. So so yeah. So Villa is in a closet. Let's hope he's not doing a David Carradine in there. Although that would that would save Ava the job. Would it, it, it would. It would. It would make it oh, a lot yeah. easier for him. Yeah. Oh yeah. Villa, I know how they did it, but I need your help. Please come out and help me. Begs Ava. <laughs> He's still doing so well, isn't it? It's brilliant. I mean, I'd be instantly suspicious of the guy who'd constantly been rude to me the entire time I'd known him, <laughs> yeah. suddenly started to be nice to me. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly, Avon stumbles upon a small cube of plastic, and suddenly he has a eureka moment. He puts away his gun, and he shouts for Villa to come out, as he's really figured it out this time, and he knows how they've done it, so can you come out and help me, please? But yeah, Villa, but Villa's not going to believe him. No, Villa still doesn't believe him. And Avon desperately tries to push the cube into the airlock. And I'm guessing this is some sort of, like, super heavy matter of some kind. I can't remember exactly what yeah, they call it. it neutron. That's it's a it. neutron weight. Okay. He jettisons it, eventually, and he runs back to the flight deck. Villa emerges from his hiding place, still terrified, Avon's it's a good performance from him as well. It is. And to be honest with you, he's very underrated in this show, I think. Yeah. 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 Avon struggles with the controls and manages to lift the shuttle away from the planet. Servalan is still less than impressed. She's even less than less than impressed now. She's got to kill him. But decides to leave him on the planet, Egg I'm talking about. Yeah. With the memory of what, of what might have been. I'll keep him going for a while, won't I? Yeah. In the old, yeah. old wank bank. Yeah, we kept you going for a lonely winter's night, wasn't it? You did. Hang on, what? <laughs> oh, I was just saying it, it would have. You, you've just admitted it. <laughs> I made nothing. I'm playing characters. Egg milks his part a little bit, groveling on the floor as Pindar gets his revenge. He reverses the radiation field. Red is dead, remember. He bathes them in red, aging them both into oblivion. Yeah, nice. You say aging, and it's just one of those where they replaced it with a fake skeleton. <laughs> it is, it is. It's a very clean skeleton as well, isn't it? With a wig on. Yeah. 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 The Scorpio leaves the planet. On board, Avon explains how he figured it all out. Villa and Avon exchange harsh looks. It's a trip I won't forget, Villa tells him. Avon looks him coldly in the eyes and replies, As I always say, Villa... You know you're safe with me. Yeah. And from then on, towards till the end of the series, Villa never trusts Avon again. That was going to be my question to you. Um, without spoilers, giving me spoilers, I, I kind of hope that the, the relationship changes after this and that they didn't just it reset it yeah. again back to what it was before. No, it, it, they, there is distrust from then That's on. Good. That's good. I was hoping for that. And that's the end of this episode of Blake 7. So, Paul, what did you think of this episode of Blake 7? Okay, so cards on the table. Blake 7 is actually a show I only really caught glimpses of as a kid. It's not really something I tuned in to watch every week. If it was on, it was on, and I didn't really take it in at the time. That's a surprise. I thought it might be. And so it's something that I went back to many years later, and as I say, I'm currently into... Season three. So this being a fourth season episode was a bit of a jump ahead for me, as I said. Um, negatives of this episode. I don't think the set design was as good as the first two seasons. 
It looks a bit threadbare in places, I, I thought. Um, the Scorpio is no liberator. and s- Slave is fun, but he's no Zen. I don't think. For right. Zen. Um, I don't find the new characters like Tarrant and Dana as interesting as Jenny, Jenna or Callie. Mm-hmm. Um, and overall, the storyline, I didn't think it was as intricate and interesting as ones in earlier seasons. It's pretty, you know, straightforward. Right. But that's all really insignificant when you have Paul Darrow giving it all in this episode, I think. Um, Avon, his portrayal of Avon is so compelling, isn't it, to watch? You can't take your eyes off him when he's on the screen. Um, right. It's incredibly nuanced. It moves from camp to psychotic to Shakespearean just in one scene, doesn't it, at times? Yeah. Um, the whole thing with Villa was the best thing in the episode. You really do believe that he would have sacrificed his shipmate in a heartbeat just to save his own skin. Um, it's cold, it's calculated, and he plays it so, so well. Really, really good. Not enough Jacqueline Pierce in this one for me, though, I have to say. It's not an ensemble no. episode. It's definitely focused no. on Avon and Villa. And I, I have to say, I find that a bit of a worry going forward for me. Um, because this is a glimpse into the future for me, as I'm still in season three. Uh, but in season three, I'm already be- beginning to see that she's not being utilised as well as she was in the first two series. So I was, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm wrong, and that. Um, right. But we'll wait. I'll wait and see. But I really enjoyed it, and I'm really enjoying rewatching the series as a whole. And it's definitely a hit. What about you? I did used to watch this as a kid, and I still remember seeing the very final mm-hmm. episode. Oddly, I do remember that one. I did um, see that one when it was on. I think it was a big thing, wasn't right. it? It was a big event. Okay. I think. Huge ratings. Mm. And, and Blake Seven is interesting in that it, in quality, it's like a, a peak. So I don't think the first series is as good as the second and the third. I think it goes up like a mountain, mm-hmm. you know, gets better and better and better and then it kind of tails off as it goes off towards the end although the last episode is good but i i do enjoy this episode i think this is a great almost a theatrical performance yeah definitely it was a great one to pick uh i enjoy the characters i always liked avon yeah you know he appeals to me i wonder why villa's good because he reminds me of people i know like you said, the only problem with this episode is the other characters don't get much to do. They're just sitting on the ship and they occasionally get lines, like Sue Lynn doesn't have much yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, but yes, this is definitely a hit for me, and Blake Seven is always a hit. After our last couple of episodes, it's quite nice to be back on the same page. So that brings this episode of Retrospection to an end. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you download this podcast, and thank you to our current Patreon supporters. And don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook. Uh, you follow our Spotify playlist that Paul lovingly puts together. Includes all the themes and the songs from the films and TV shows that we review. So until next time, goodbye. Bye. I could hear the curious tone of cornet, clarinet, and big trombone. 
fiddle, cello, big bass drum, bassoon, flute and euphonia. Far away as in a trance, I heard the sound of the floral dance. Yeah, I'm alright. <laughs>